Welcome to the Art and Science of Complex Sales. This is a podcast where we explore how the best B2B sales leaders make the complex simple, drive relationships and revenue, and generally elevate the sales profession. In this podcast, we're bringing together sales experts, thought leaders, top account executives, buyers, industry insiders, all to share their experiences and best practices for navigating the complex sales cycle. So whether you're a seasoned sales professional, a sales leader, or just starting out, you're going to find practical insights and actionable advice that you can apply to your own sales journey. Plus, we have a bit of fun. Our guest today is Kent Malinowski. Kent is putting his experience to work developing and leading the next generation of sales talent. With 40 years of sales experience and 30 of those leading a sales development company, SuccessWorks, Kent has connected his time, his treasure, and his talents with Idaho State University to help drive their burgeoning sales curriculum. The stories and impacts he is having on students are remarkable, and he gives insights into where the next generation of sales talent currently stands. So let's get rolling. All right, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the Art and Science of Complex Sales. Kent Malinowski, welcome. Uh, it's great to have you. Great to be here. Well, I got to say how we got connected is a lot of fun, and uh, I think we're going to have some great conversations about it. Kent is uh, has a huge history in sales, but is also an adjunct professor of business at Idaho State, and it's a uh, membrane is Membrane is sponsoring their business or their sales program, and we're so excited to be doing it. And uh, so we're connecting with the youth of today to produce the best and brightest of sales of tomorrow. So it's something that I'm really excited to talk about today. And Membrane is a great partner for us as professors, and I call them my kids, my kids as students. That's awesome. No, I I uh, was so pumped. I have a background in way back when uh, I got to be a uh, adjunct instructor, right? That was a big deal, but I loved it. It was at when I as University of Arizona and I got a chance to teach. It was one of the best, one of the best things I've ever done in my life. And I still I have a passion for it. So it's been really cool uh, working working with you. And um, I was hoping today we're going to dive into dive into a lot about what you see about the the future of sales, where you see uh, the youth of today going into sales. One of the things we need to start off with though is we got to we got to start off with the basic question that I generally ask everybody, which is, Kent, from your perspective, define sales. That's a great question. And frankly, that's where we have to start, Paul, with the students coming into the sales program, because it's important for us as leaders in the sales environment with our kids to change the paradigm about what sales is and what it isn't. I'll start out with what it isn't, because this is the framework that a lot of students have coming into the program that sells is the hard sell. And it's never been a welcome component of any really good sales process. So I preach that sales is akin to a joint venture. It's not about manipulative tactics. And I, I'd say to my kids, look, salespeople are a species that live on new ideas, on resilience and emotional connections. So I've come up with an acronym, S-A-L-E-S, that defines for our students what is sales. And the S for me stands for serve, as in servant leadership. That's becoming the role of a trusted advisor. And we teach the, the essence of trust or the formula for trust, if you will, is intent, 
plus expertise. And the key is intent. What is your intent as a professional salesperson? And if it's to serve that potential customer or prospect, and then marrying that with one's expertise, that's the components that develop trust, creating that role of the trusted advisor. A stands for ask, asking great questions that reveal the root causes of a problem that a prospect will bring you. And drumbeat is you've got to resist the, what I call the call on me reflex, which is if you know the answer to a question, it's ooh, 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 call on me. And if the prospect asks a question, it's premature to give all the answers until you really have listened, which is the L, to the art. It's the art of staying in the moment, listening, listening for meaning, not just listening to prepare a response. Which leads to E is engagement, Paul. That's we're all humans, right? And humans are driven by feelings and, and an inspiration and a sense of possibility. We believe that connection is the essence of humanity of professional selling. So that's the E for engagement. And then finally, the S is satisfy, meaning satisfying the condition that lies at the root cause of someone's problem. The selling role is never finished until that customer's pain goes away. That is one of the most complete and effective definitions I have I've heard. Well, thank you. And it's interesting. Great, no, great when job. Our kids, when our kids come in, you know, they have such, they have a really misperception of what selling is and is not. Um, if you'd like, I cracked open a letter, an email that I got from one of my students after they graduated. And, and I think in four or five sentences, he really summarizes the essence of the transformation that took place. If you'd like, I'll read the letter to you. I would absolutely love that. This comes from a student whose name is Tyler. And he writes, I was unaware about a sales career before my courses. I thought that a career in sales meant taking advantage of people, and that success was a gamble. Today, I'm well on my way to high-level corporate sales. I'm proud of my work and look forward to using my skills to help people. The advanced sales classes taught me that a great salesperson solves problems and heals pain. When you're focused on relationships, humanity, and guidance, you'll find yourself happier and wealthier than you ever imagined. Personally, my confidence has never been higher. I'm conquering my anxiety disorder. I'm speaking to high-level executives in my dream job. Even my dating life has improved drastically. What do you think of that? Isn't that powerful? I think you could probably put out a resume for Tyler and get probably 50 offers within, within the first hour and a half. That is, that's extremely powerful. Extremely very, very powerful. powerful. And the thing that I hear from kids coming in is this level of anxiety that they bring to them into their role as a student. The data is scary, Paul, the mm -hmm. level of anxiety of kids coming out of high school and into college, especially those first, those early, the first year, that early development path, there's a significant amount of anxiety and they're suffering from that and they're not prepared for the workforce. And I think that most colleges, most universities, most professors don't teach them. I think the two things that they really need to anchor 
before they can be successful in any career. And I'm, I'm happy to talk about those two things as, as I see it from my chair. Yeah, keep rolling. What are the, absolutely. The thing we're seeing, not only from the students coming in, but from students graduating and getting into the workforce and the CEOs that we work with, they're saying 85% of them say students lack and graduates lack self-awareness. They don't know what they don't know. They don't know what their weaknesses are. So the second thing that we do is we work really strongly in the first six weeks, actually, of every of the first level sales course is to help them identify and overcome the non-supportive or problematic paradigms that they bring into class and then affect them if they don't fix those paradigms walking into the workforce. And mostly those messages are imprinted from bad parenting. Do you use, I have to ask it, do you use the, uh, an assessment relative to that, the non-supportive beliefs? We use, we have two very powerful tools that we use to begin the process. One of them is the, is the objective management group sales assessment that identifies these broken beliefs or non-supportive beliefs. The second assessment that we use is from a company called TTI. And TTI has a very robust set of tools that look at not only someone's behavioral style, but their life motivators. And we assess the degree of emotional intelligence that a student brings into the very, that they come in as underclassmen with. And that becomes the benchmark and we use those assessments to create a development plan. It's a two-year development plan through the program. That is absolutely wonderful. I, I have a little bit of experience with the uh, with the early stage. Well, actually, I have a lot of experience with the early stage sales rep, especially ones coming out of college. I mean, I've, we founded a company on it back in 2007 and probably brought a couple of hundred, if not more, young, you know, recent graduates, first or second job through. And I'd say to get this education early on, we used we used uh, like strength finders and other type of assessments, and then put a, had to put together a sales almost a sales university to get get people committed to the right habits without ha- without going into a situation. The, the nice thing is they didn't come in with a whole lot of bad habits. It was just different beliefs. They didn't have yeah. the sales bad habits. I think the value you're providing there with. I mean, that is amazing. You're able to do that. And then you're able to give them the right habits to start a sales career. That's, that is absolutely fabulous. It's amazing the messages that kids bring into the workforce and into school today that's different from our generation coming up. We're seeing it with the millennials and Gen Z, and they're getting some messages that aren't supportive. Things like, uh, you're special. Uh, you can have anything you want in life just because they want it. Or, you know, do what you love and it won't feel like work. (laughs) Well, here's what happens with those, I I won't call them bad messages, I'll call them non-supportive. They Mm -hmm. get thrust in the real world, Paul, and instantly they find out they're not special. Their moms can't get them a promotion. Mom didn't prepare them for the rejection of being hung up on when they get that first sales job. Or if they're ghosted by a prospect, you know, and they're, and they're not getting... They don't get rewarded for coming in second or third or fourth or last. They don't get participation trophies, especially in sales. Mm -hmm. And by the way, they realize very quickly, you can't just have things in life because you want them. 
And sometimes the work's difficult and you have to do things you won't love. You might, you might not even like doing them. That's part of the work ethic. So changing those paradigms early on in the academic environment has been a world rocker. We rock these kids' worlds when we bring them in. Because what happens is when they go into the workforce and they experience these feelings, it shatters their self-image. So you've got an entire generation that's growing up with lower self-esteem than earlier generations. Uh, no one has taught them how to fail and not to take it as a, as a hit to their identity. So what students are doing is they're conflating their role, the hats they wear, with their identity, which is their self-esteem. So it allows role failure to crush how they see themselves as people. That's a staggering awakening moment for the first few weeks when we connect with these. That is fabulous. That is one of the most life-changing exercises. And I, I always, it's why I found I truly love sales is because when we find that we're doing it well, we start to have that freedom, which is, you know, I do what I do and I can, I'm confident in what I do and I can impact it. But guess what? Not everybody has to like me. Not everybody has to love me. I am, I'm free. I'm free from as long as I do the steps and the disciplines and I, I work that hard, I actually need to free myself from the outcome and the praise. And uh, it's to teach that lesson so early on. I, this is, uh, I don't know. It's badass, Ken. That's what it is. That's my, well, my, thanks. my, uh, adjective for the day because it, it, it really is it's just like it's just true impact so is is tyler it's tyler right is he an yeah. anomaly or how many kids do you do you actually see a transformation as you're starting to work with a significant amount of those and of course they have to be committed to their own success so we spend a lot of time talking about what does it mean to be committed I, we talk about conditional commitment versus real commitment. And real commitment, in our definition, is doing whatever it takes ethically, even if, and there's some even ifs, even if you're uncomfortable, even if you're afraid, even if you disagree with the goal that the boss set for you, but you do it anyway, that's, that's unconditional commitment. Conditional would be, hey, I'll do it as long as, you know, as long as I don't have to work extra hours, as long as I don't have to do something that I'm uncomfortable with, as long as I don't have to do something that I disagree. Those are all the conditions that come with, un that can come with commitment that get in the way of success. Uh, this could be one of the most listened to, I think, podcasts that we have simply because I think we're, we're describing, I mean, the youth of today are coming into the workplace of tomorrow. And with the rate of acceleration and change, it's just it's absolutely massive, right? I, it's it's not surprising that youth are coming in with with the anxiety and and that's just simply based on the rate of the rate of change. But it seems like you're doing foundational work first, so you can prepare them for that rate of change. Am I am I saying that correct? Yeah, and we throw some curveballs at them day one. Okay, come into class. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. We. We teach our classes based upon a model of salesperson and sales manager relationship as opposed to teacher-student relationship. So it's not about student versus professor. So we're changing the paradigm. So here's what we'd say. We say, listen, we're going to assign projects to you and homework. And when we do it, we give them as little instruction as possible. And then we, we put the phrase in the assignment, use all available resources. 
So what that forces them to do is to use what we call the figure it out factor, right? You've got to be able to figure stuff out on your own. You're not going to be helicoptered, right? We're not going to hover over you and tell you, do this, do that, do that, figure it out on your own. And so what happens in the first debrief is we get excuses. Well, I didn't understand the assignment. You didn't tell me exactly what to do. I didn't know I had to go look this up and read this chapter in the book. I didn't know which resource I had to do. So we say to the group when we do the debrief, well, when you collaborated with your team members, what happened? Well, we didn't collaborate. Why not? Well, we didn't know we were allowed to collaborate. You didn't tell us. We said, use all available resources. When you called the professor for help, what happened? Well, I didn't think we could. Why not? That's not the way school works. That's cheating. That's unfair. I said, time out. You get, in the, you get ahead in the real world by figuring things out, breaking the mold, thinking outside the box. So we're starting with you day one to get you thinking differently about how you approach the problems and challenges you're going to find in life and at work. There's a great book. I don't know if you read it. The past guy named Wilson wrote it uh, called Changing the Game. And it was back in the 80s. But it seems like that the great ones, the great sales reps, the great everybody have that ability to, to come in and change the game. They know the base rules of the game that's played, but they have the ability to adapt and expand. And you're giving kids the ability to do that. Is that, that right? Yes, it is. And some of them really frustrated at first because they don't know how to do things. They don't know what they don't know, and they don't know how to think outside the box. So when we use the instructions, use all available resources, we mean all available resources. Figure it out. So we spend the first six weeks working with them on self-awareness, what are their hidden weaknesses, how to do goal setting, how to understand the essence of what it takes to succeed, especially in sales and business. And Paul, our courses aren't just for those that see career in sales as the pathway. There are other disciplines that we take through this curriculum, those that come from other professional endeavors, like the, uh, the accounting school at ISU is one of the best in the country. So we have kids coming out of the accounting school, folks that are in an engineering or a healthcare role, anytime that has, there's any customer facing interaction, the, the sales program is phenomenal for that. And they'll get a certificate that they can attach to their resume that they went through this course. So whether you're an accounting student, engineering student, or an IT professional, you want to have that customer-facing certificate that you know how to deal with and interact with people. You can take that certificate, and it really helps them uh, you know, enter the workforce. And i, I got to tell you, a lot of the students think that they'd like to be successful as an entrepreneur and own their own business. And this is a very valuable endeavor for them to take take them through this because we, you know one of the things that's fascinating to me I like your feedback on this you've had a lot of interaction with with kids and as graduates we're finding that their ability to have engaging connected relationships is really a struggle for the millennials and gen z well, what's your experience i you know i'm finding that it's the way that the relationships are had is is very different so it's not, um, I mean, I have three, I have three kids. Oldest is 14, youngest is, youngest is 10, but it, it really becomes the way that they engage with their friends and they engage with others that we train on or, you know, it's just, it's very different these days. It's extremely different than 
when I, obviously when I grew up. And um, so it's not that they, I don't think it's that they can't have them. It's just that it looks, it looks much, much, much different in how they do it. Like in there is, different, there like is a in challenge. More, more superficial. Yeah. I think that's a big challenge is that they're a lot of times they're more superficial and this is, I have no data to back this up. Right. So I'm just giving an educated guess on based on my, my time with kids in youth group, my time as a soccer coach and my time with uh, my kids, but there seems to be a relationship with how much, how much kids today are leveraging, leveraging apps, video games, social media, uh, et cetera, and the permissiveness which which they do it. Like if they're just allowed mm-hmm. full access and free range, there seems to be that inverse relationship with their ability to communicate with older people. Like uh, yeah. I just find that, and I, it's, I'm actually asked, I actually ask the kids, like how much time you spend gaming, you know, that that type of stuff. And if it's in the, you know, that six hours a day range, which for a lot of them it is, it's very hard for them to have a, full-on conversation with me, look me in the eye, that type of stuff, and just be able to chat. For others, if it's lower, they generally, you know, but it's, I do, kids that play a ton of sports and that type of stuff, like they, they're forced into that. So I, think you're I don't know if that answers on. your question. Yeah, I think it's spot on. In fact, Simon Sinek has done a lot of work on this and, and his conclusions are that kids' relationships are superficial because they've never been practicing the skill set of those deeply connected relationships that come off of the machine, right? The personal mm-hmm. interaction and connection. And they're getting their they're getting their dopamine hits from the likes and the shares and the rewards that they get when they're gaming and the rewards that they get on their social media accounts. So yep. they get that instant reward, that instant gratification. And the dopamine becomes an addiction, especially if you're spending hours and hours and hours a day getting those constant dopamine hits. And that's that's a real challenge, and, and he has he has the data that says it is that is an addiction. You know what I find even more challenging. So one one thing that I, I definitely find more challenging this this comes from a lot of my time. I uh, I worked as well as a, a youth youth ministry, and I, I I've done a lot of social enterprise as well. One of the things that I'll say is. When it gets to a point of they don't believe relationships are possible, right? And that is that is a point that that I've I've noticed uh, some some youth get to I, because of the shallowness of most of the other relationships. Um, that's that's where it gets scary. So the work you're doing, like, and that's again a personal opinion, but the work you're doing to help them set that foundation, I believe it's based on. You're right. This idea of an ever-shifting identity. If the work you're doing there, that yes, you can do hard work, right? You're worth it. You can do hard work. You can do tough. That's amazing. I mean, that that is absolutely it's blowing me away. This conversation. So, and I think one of the things that a, that a lot of management, sales leaders, sales management, corporate management have failed to recognize is the impact that these graduates are having. What the good news is they want to make an impact in their work. Mm-hmm. And they get frustrated when they're eight months, only eight months into an entry-level job, and they don't, they're saying, hey, I'm not making a difference in the world. It's like hey, time out, you know, you're eight months into an entry-level job. They haven't learned how to set goals. 
and connect those longer-term goals back to daily actions or daily behaviors. And without their managers helping them make a connection to the work I do today and how that's going to help in my long-term goal and not look for the dopamine hit of the instant gratification, this scenario of the technology and has created an entire population that's growing up through life and they're not finding joy in their work. Yeah, and I, this will probably, some of the podcasts I listen to, like I really love, love a lot of stuff like, Jocko Willing does, especially because he yeah. he focuses on he focuses a lot on habits. He focuses a lot on that and self leadership and habits and the ability to to lead and build yourself. You know, there's some some others out there that are that are really really good. But you know, I, it's one thing I hear in my circles. I this is one of the only programs that I've heard of that actually teaches this in college. <laughs> Again, but it's so neat. It, it is needed in the work spot place, and not that you know, kids after eight months are there. Sometimes that a, a young man or woman or you know goes in the workplace and they should leave a job after six or eight months. It's just not a right fit. But to be able to persevere and have that habit set to be able to persevere is extremely important to teach. Um, so, how are you working with companies then in in market with stuff like this? Like how how are you? collaborating to ensure, okay, you're teaching these great skills. Where, where does it go from there? The pathway is not only the, the application or the learning of the skill, but the change in behavior. That's, I, we beat the drum with academic, our academic colleagues. Look, teaching is about imparting knowledge. Training is about behavior change. We're having to imprint and change a new set of behaviors. So think of the, from self-awareness, we go to training them to apply and execute a really strong sales process, and then teaching them the street level, street smart selling pieces, right? Like the ability to ask discovery-based questioning, like using the Socratic skill, we call it discovery-based questions asking questions that demonstrate expertise in a way where a prospect discovers, wow, based upon the questions you've asked me, you're making me think differently about my business. That's the skill of asking questions that by their nature differentiate you from a competitor. And the second thing we, we teach that's very powerful is a communication model that fosters what we call adult-to-adult -adult transactions. Most salespeople, even career sales professionals, sometimes fall into the trap of having a conversation with a prospect that becomes what we call parent-child, where the salesperson often by design is made to feel subservient to the prospect prospect mm -hmm. telling them what to do and a salesperson being in a position of having to force to feel like they have to comply. Yep. So now it's a, I'll tell you what to do. You must comply with me relationship as opposed to an adult adult relationship. So we're teaching that communications model early, early on things like how to still tell stories and ways to present solutions that have significant impact. And then the other Part of the curriculum, the final episode in the curriculum track is streetwise sales management and leadership principles. So once we've got this foundation in place, 
the other leg of the stool is what we call our sales lab. It's, you know how if you were a 747 pilot, you'd go in for your continual training and a lot of that training would be in the simulator. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd, the, the flight simulator. Well, we have a sales simulator built into the curriculum as part of the sales center for excellence at Idaho State. And that gives real world executional practice to understand and apply these and make them become habits, habits, successful habits, so that if you're a hiring manager, if you're a sales leadership executive, you should demand the pipeline coming out of these universities so kids can hit the ground running. We call it from the classroom to the boardroom. That is wonderful. And uh, one thing I didn't ask you to do at the beginning of this, which I absolutely should have, is this is uh, give us a little bit of your background, because I know uh, I guess if we could finish with this, love to hear a little bit of your background and then how you're working to integrate your your business and into the real world with these with these kids. Well, I shouldn't say kids. You say you know with these young professionals, right? How you're doing that with with companies in the area because that is really fascinating as well. Thirty years of delivering Salesforce development is my career background, Paul. I've spent that long in developing sales methodology, sales management methodology assessing and developing sales teams from small and medium-sized businesses up to multi-billion dollar enterprise sales organizations. And before that, I carried a bag million miles on the uh, on Delta Airlines uh, selling. In the old school days, we'd get on the get on an airplane uh, Monday afternoon, we turn return back Friday afternoon and then go to the dry cleaning on Saturday and Sunday and do it all again next week, right? That was the world we lived in. So there's a lot of ex enterprise sales experience and customer roles that kind of bring me to this endeavor now, which I, I love. So not only creating this pipeline of talent, yeah. but the other, the other element of what we're delivering through the Idaho State University program is a track for corporations that want to improve their sales force performance they can contract with ISU through which my company provides the training and development work in a private public partnership with Idaho State to deliver sales results for those organizations. That's awesome. I think it's inspiring how you have follow your passion to really drive, impart your wisdom and knowledge to the youth of today and to drive the career sales forward, as well as leveraging your business as a part of this with, with ISU. It's, it was one of the reasons I was so excited that, uh, and quite frankly, our whole company was so excited that Membrane got engaged engaged with y'all because it's, it's a chance to truly drive what our mission is, which is to elevate the mission vision, elevate the sales profession, bring together all areas of, of uh, you know, whether it be coaches, leaders, technology, what have you to, to truly drive businesses that are producing results with a doing sales the right way, B2B sales the right way. So I'm extremely thankful that we're a part of this program. I'm extremely thankful that you were able to come on. Any uh, questions or last topics that, that we should last be covering? Last topic I always love to ask, and my kids ask me this question too. What's your favorite nonfiction book and why? 
Can I give two? Please. Okay. Well, my my favorite two are the Bible, which is I'd probably narrow it down to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, where where Jesus gives his uh, Sermon on the Mount is, uh, and I just absolutely I think that's one of the greatest uh, pieces of timeless wisdom uh, ever created. My second is I love Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's yeah, it's the first book that I kind of implemented as as training in my first business, and it was the first book that that showed me like he called it habits. Right, what are the habits that I can do continually, and if I have discipline on these things, that I could actually thrive. And I thought they were. They were groundbreaking at the time to me. Uh, it was just, it, it blew my mind. I got so excited about it and I implemented them. Like uh, that was one thing that I truly saw as action-based and oriented. So I could be like, oh yeah, begin with the end in mind. Holy mackerel. Okay, I'm starting a project. What's my, I mean, you know, I, I don't need to, I know there's details, but yeah. Okay, think win-win. Okay, geez. All right, I got that. That's a habit. I can, so it made a, you could tell. You know, I can ramble, I could talk about it for, uh, and I loved his his eighth habit. And I loved Mr. Covey's book, at, uh, you know, um, on trust. So that book really made an impact on me. We teach our kids in the sales program the cute core lesson in selling is seek first to understand before seeking yes. to be understood, then be and incorporate that into one of the talk tracks early on in the selling process. So. I'll share the book I when I when the when they ask me about a question I'll share the book that I encourage them to read if you'd like to see it. I would love it. Oh, Napoleon Hill. Yes. Very rich, right? It's a great one. The white hot power of desire and the negative consequences of negative thinking. Oh, the two I love profound it. topics in, and it's a classic, right? Written back in the, what was the 1920s? I uh, think another, uh, another absolute classic. And I'm, I'm looking it up here on my, uh, oh gosh, why is it not here? Oh, Norman Vincent Peale, the power of positive thinking. Power of positive thinking. Great. Like job. it's just a, you know, it's one of those, I would have scoffed at that book when I was when I was eighteen to twenty. Like I would have scoffed at. It. I said I just said it was just absolute horse manure. There's no way that it can happen. And then I lived life. And then same thing with Napoleon Hills, right? It's like I live life, and I realized that the most important thing that I have control of that I can do on an ongoing basis is decide to control my mindset. And when I realized that, my life changed. Right? It was a very, it was a very, and it was a decision. It's like, oh my gosh, I can I can decide this, regardless of if it's been a tough day. It, it's it is the the element to perseverance that that you know the habits taught me. Seven habits taught me, and then books like that. It was just like I can decide that I have a. I mean, I, I truly can. You can. Everybody here can. And it's such a big thing for sales. Such a big. And is phenomenal wisdom. And I appreciate you. I appreciate your wisdom. And we appreciate Membrane and all the work that you've done to help our students. And we're looking forward to a long-lasting, fruitful relationship with Membrane. You guys are terrific people. Thank you. Yeah, and we're happy to do it. Love it. 
love working with you and the team and uh, we're going to keep it rolling. So anyways, thank you. People are going to love this. I generally ask uh, how do people, I will ask this, how do people get in touch with you if, uh, if they'd like to? Best way to reach me is um, through my website, successworksinc.com or Kent at successworksinc.com is my email address. All right. Well, Kent, it has been an honor and pleasure. Thank you so much. And uh, we uh, can't wait till next time. We'll have to do it again. Let's do it again. All right. Rock and roll. Thanks, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, everybody, right. for listening. And we, uh, we are going to sign off. Thank you so much for listening to the art and science of complex sales. This podcast is sponsored by Membrane and our partners from around the globe. Here at Membrane, we believe that B2B sales is at a crossroads. Due to decades of quantity-based prospecting, information overload, and really a shift towards efficiency over service and pitching over leadership in sales, customers are saying enough is enough. They're tuning out average performers and choosing to take most of the buying journey on their own. This results in up and down sales results, forecasts that are all over the place, and salespeople that are half committed due to the fact that they're having poor results and they have an inability to truly connect with customers. We believe the road successful companies are taking to combat this is threefold. Number one, training to create leaders and executives across all areas of the team with strong habits and sales methodologies that bring value. Number two, technology. Technology that focuses and helps a salesperson succeed and reinforces great habits rather than wasting their time on filling out fields for reporting or wasting their time on spamming customers that have no interest in ever buying. Third, talent. And I'm talking about talent that's empowered and emboldened to make a difference for their customers and their companies. So where are you on that journey? Membrane and our network of partners across the globe are here to help and to elevate the sales profession. We streamline critical technology by combining CRM, training and enablement, and more into one seamless platform. We drive best-in-class methodologies through our partners. They provide the top thought leadership methodologies and resources from across the globe. And our collective efforts are dedicated to recruiting, training, coaching, and empowering, and measuring the habits of the top teams in the world to ensure success. Join us at Membrane.com to learn more. And thank you so much for listening.